be home again. This morning we will take a little detour from our regular study in Ecclesiastes. Today and for the next few weeks we'll take the opportunity as, as everyone is focused on Christmas, telling us that there is a worldwide attention on Jesus, we want to take some time to be reminded from Scripture of the Incarnation, remembering that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, remembering that He came to be born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who are under the law. So we will go to some texts of Scripture over the next couple of weeks, which teach us about Jesus. The last thing we want to do is, is to let our knowledge of Christ, our understanding of Jesus be set by the crowds, be set by the world. We, we want to remember that he certainly was a baby born, laid in a manger, but we dare not think that the story of Christmas or the story of Christianity ends there. He came as a virgin born infant and for very important and specific reasons, but he grew, he taught, he preached, he was hated by men, he, he suffered and finally his suffering ended in death, the death on Calvary's cruel cross. This is important as we think about baby Jesus to think all the way to the cross. It's so important in the telling of the story of Jesus. But when we go to the cross, Christians, we don't stop there either. Do we? we know that he died a real death, a death that was prophesied in Scripture, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, that on the third day he rose from the dead, having secured salvation for sinful men. And he is merciful and gracious to offer that salvation freely to all those who believe in him. Our Christmas story, Christians, should include all these wonderful truths. We should, we should not focus on one thing to the neglect of others. So we celebrate the, these beautiful things in the relaying of Christ Jesus, our Savior, and what he has done. And we don't just come a couple of times a year to celebrate. We gather every Lord's Day. And on Sunday, the first day of the week, we celebrate that God has proclaimed to humanity forever the truth and legitimacy of all that Jesus did and taught by raising him from the dead on that great Sunday morning. So this morning we turn our attention to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, to chapter 9. Isaiah written some 700 years before Christ would be born in Bethlehem. We come to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. This is very familiar. If you're my age, you probably hear this verse read in the voice of Charlie Brown. <laughs> but this is scripture. So even though it's familiar, let us focus our attention 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. May God add his blessing to the reading and now to the preaching of his word, to the salvation of sinners and the edification of his church. I've titled this message, His Name Shall Be Called Wonderful. If you wonder where I got it, well, it came directly from the text. Some of you, as you followed along in your copy of scripture, you notice right off the bat that, that your Bible read differently, somewhat differently than how I read the verse. I read five names in this verse, separated with a comma between each name. And I read from the King James, the King James and the New King James have this five names with a comma between each name. But more modern translations, perhaps your copy of scripture lists four names without a comma between wonderful and counselor. You just read wonderful counselor, making wonderful an adjective, a descriptor, modifying the name counselor. So maybe we ask, which is, is it four names? Is it five names? Wonderful comma counselor or wonderful counselor? Well, we have to say that, that if we go to the Hebrew, the Hebrew in, in answering this question is of no help to us at all. There, there are no punctuation marks to indicate to us. And I shouldn't say the Hebrew is of no help. I'm going to tell you why I believe that this is five names. But, uh, but there's no punctuation in the manuscripts to help us. So the comma or no comma in our English Bibles becomes an interpretive insertion by the translators of a given version to try to help us with the text. And that happens from time to time. That's how translation is done. We do that in translating from Spanish to English. There's a, there's a certain interpretation that has to happen. Uh, and, and this is here. And, and I'd like to say at the outset, what I, I differ in my opinion from the modern translations that have wonderful counselor without a comma. I think the comma belongs there. But having said that, I, I don't want to give us the idea. I, I don't think that the modern translations have done violence to the text, nor have they presented us with something which is untrue. Jesus truly is a wonderful counsel. And, and we know that Isaiah, this very book, later in chapter 28, it plainly says his counsel is wonderful. He is a wonderful counselor. He is wonderful in his counseling is how it's stated in, in Isaiah 28. So, so to say wonderful counselor is, is a true statement. I believe the word wonderful in this text has sort of a, has sort of a distributive property with the other names that are here. Jesus is wonderful. But Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Jesus is a wonderful, mighty God. Wonderful, everlasting Father. Wonderful Prince of Peace. 
So I don't object to the statement, he is a wonderful counsel. Those who argue for the, the no comma, the wonderful counselor in these modern configurations of the sentence, they find a pattern, and I'll show it to you, you'll see it. They, they see in the other names a series of couplets, a, a series of two word titles with a name and a descriptor. So we see that he is not only a prince, he is a peace prince or the Prince of Peace. He is not only Father, but Everlasting Father, a name and a descriptor. He's not only God, but Mighty God. So then when they see that, they come to Counselor and they say, well, Wonderful must be the descriptor describing his name Counselor. Therefore, we have Wonderful Counsel. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense, and we might be convinced with that reasoning, except, except for the fact that the word here, wonderful, the word is pele, but the word here is not an adjective, it's a noun. In Isaiah 28, where, where we read that Jesus is wonderful in his counseling, it's a different word or it's a different form of the word that is used there. It's an adjective. But here in Isaiah 6, 9, we see a noun. And that leads me to say there are five names here, wonderful being the first. Because the word in the Hebrew is a noun, perhaps we would prefer an English noun in our translation. Someone has suggested that we should read this verse. His name shall be called Wonder. But wonderful also works. His, his name shall be called Wonderful. It certainly would profit us to spend time on each of these five names, exploring the meaning and the use of each one. But rather than cramming all this into a single sermon where no name really gets adequate time, no name really gets ample attention. We will focus today only on this first name, Wonderful. And perhaps in future messages, we'll have the opportunity to consider each of the other names in turn. But for today, we have this first name. His name shall be called Wonderful. Someone counted 256 names of Jesus in Scripture. Billy Sunday said, because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. Now, if you go looking, you'll find lists of names of Jesus, lists of titles, lists of attributes, which number in the hundreds and the thousands. As we consider names for Jesus, we need to understand what it is to say his name shall be called. Just earlier, Pastor Brett read for us, as the command was given to Joseph, his name is to be called Jesus. But then a few verses later, it says his, his name will be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then when the child was born, was that you or maybe that was Daniel? Yeah, I, I don't know who was reading what. I was paying attention, I just didn't know who. Then after the child was born, his name was called Jesus. So what is it? His name is called Jesus. His name is called Emmanuel. His name is called Jesus. Well, we need to understand what it is to say 
His name shall be called. When we think of a name, we think of a proper name. We, we think of what's on your birth certificate. Or, or somebody might say, we think, what did your mom call? <laughs> we, we think of a name like that. What do you go by? I just, I thought about what if, what if that was how we thought of his name shall be called in scripture? What would it be like for Jesus on that first day of kindergarten as a teacher called Rowan? Joe Smith here, Sally Jones here, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Jesus Christ, savior, bomb of Gilead, Emmanuel, lamb of God, alpha and omega. You can go on and on and on. That's, that's not what this is. This, these names are not monikers by which people referred to Jesus. As we find names of Jesus in the Bible, it, it's, it, it's his name shall be called, but it's not intended to give us the proper name, the birth certificate record for the Messiah, as it were. These names don't tell us what Jesus would go by. It tells us what Jesus is. This tells us what he is. They reveal something about him, something about his person, his character, his work. These names reveal something of his relationship to the world, his relationship to sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. His relationship to those whom he came to save. He is our Savior. His name is who he is, and his name shall be called Wonderful. So if we're going to say, well, his name shall be called Wonderful, we need to understand at the beginning something of the use of the word Wonderful. We need to understand that often, especially in our day, there's a sloppy, common use of words. We call things by names which do not deserve the name. We call things wonderful, which do not deserve to be called wonderful. Now, I have a few examples I thought I could say this morning. Kimberly, those tamales are wonderful. I don't know if y'all had the tamales a few weeks ago. They were wonderful. And I also would say, Stacy, my wife, is wonderful. If I'm going to say both of those statements, I'd better understand something about the use of words. I'd better understand something about the use of analogical language, lest I begin to think that my life and tamales are on equal playing field, and they are not. So we, we need to understand how we use this word. We, we use the word wonderful sometimes to describe things which are not wonderful. We use it as a sarcastic comment. We arrived and the sewer was backed up. It was wonderful. See, we, we, we use it to say things that are not wonderful. So, so we use this word, but we need to understand how we are using it here. There, there's an old saying, and I mean a really old saying, wonder lasts only nine days. Now, maybe you have heard that. Maybe you haven't heard that. But that, that saying dates back to the 1400s to Chaucer. And it has been found in literature ever since then. Wonder lasts only nine days. It speaks to the short-lived fascination men and women have with things. Think about, I, I thought about, I thought about a newborn baby. 
What is there that is more of a wonder? Now talk to that father and mother nine days later. After deprived sleep. and Just talk to them nine days later. The wonder has worn off a little bit. Wonder lasts only nine days. We wonder in amazement, but only nine days later, the new has worn off. Henry Fielding, uh, hundreds of years later, modified this phrase to say, wonder lasts only nine days, then the puppy's eyes are open. Now this may speak to the blindness that we have as humans, the blindness to a new thing. And he compares that to a newborn puppy born with their eyes closed. And then a few days later, the eyes are open. Maybe wonder disappears. Don't we relate to that? We, we know what it is. How many times have we been in awe and in wonder over a person, over, over perhaps a, a famous person or a personal hero, even just a new person that we've met and, and we're so fascinated and, and caught up and in awe. They're, they're so wonderful. Then we get to know them. You know, that saying, don't get to know your heroes, it's there for a reason. We find that the wonder turns at best to ordinary. I found out they're human after all. And sometimes wonder turns to worthless. Sometimes awesome turns to awful. So we use wonderful and we use wonder to describe things that that sometimes don't deserve the title, but as we consider Jesus, this name for Jesus, his name shall be called Wonderful. We consider the one, the only one who deserves to bear this name. The one who will never become old and mundane. The one who, the more we know him, the better we know him, the deeper we know him, the more wonderful he becomes. He is wonderful. He is the wonder of wonders. We used to sing a song a long time ago, the wonder of wonders. Oh, how could it be that God became flesh and was given for me? The almighty came down to walk among men. The wonder of wonders. He died for my sin. He is truly the wonder of wonders. The word wonder, the word wonderful, it, it, it means something beautiful and unexpected. It, it connotes a sense of awe and amazement. And the biblical use of the word wonder, wonderful, includes something of a miraculous nature. We see how his name is rightly called wonderful. This is a word appropriate and accurate to describe Jesus Christ. He is wonderful. I'd like for us to take just a few minutes to consider the wonder of our Savior. His name shall be called wonderful. And as we consider the wonder of the Savior today, I pray that you will, in your heart of hearts and with your lips, say, He is indeed wonderful. We'll reflect on the wonder of Jesus under the following seven headings. Don't be afraid. We'll move quickly. He is wonderful in his birth. He's wonderful in his character. 
He's wonderful in his teaching. He's wonderful in his ministry. He is wonderful in his death. He is wonderful in the resurrection. He is wonderful in salvation. So we do need to move quickly. Let's get started. First of all, he is wonderful in his birth. His birth prophesied in Holy Scripture hundreds of years before he came. What was prophesied? So much. His birthplace, his family tree, the fact that his birth would be a virgin birth. His betrayal was prophesied. The mode of his death was prophesied even before crucifixion had been invented. It was prophesied that he would be crucified between two criminals, that the legs of the other two men would be broken, yet Jesus' bones would be unbroken. It was prophesied that the executioners would gamble for his clothing at the foot of the cross. His resurrection was prophesied and all of these things accurately foretold so long before they came to be. A group of mathematicians from Westmont College set out to calculate the chances of these prophecies of Scripture taking place or being fulfilled by one single man. Uh, they, they limited their study, they limited their, their mathematical calculations to only eight prophecies to narrow the scope. So this could be broader, and, and it is said over and over when you read the results of this, of this mathematical uh, endeavor that they made the results more conservative. So what I share with you is the conservative result of eight prophecies coming to be fulfilled in one man. They found that the chances of this coming to be fulfilled in one man was one chance in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you know numbers, that's a big number. That's, that's a one with 17 zeros. The professor who led this study said, how do, how do we understand that number? That is a really big number. I looked to, to see. It's somewhere between quadrillion and quintillion. How do we understand this number? The professor that led the study said, well, if we take silver dollars, that many silver dollars, 10 to the 17th power, if we take that many silver dollars and we lay them flat down on the state of Texas, they would cover the entire state of Texas. I'll give you a moment to be amazed by that. Two feet deep. That's a lot. <coughs> Now imagine, he said, if you would, to take one silver dollar out of those and mark it, one silver dollar, and place it anywhere you would like in the state of Texas. And now blindfold a man and allow him to travel anywhere in the state and pick up a single silver dollar. The chance of him picking up the one you marked, that's what we're talking about. Christ Jesus, the prophecies of his birth and life and death and resurrection. Well, it's wonderful. <laughs> Jesus was wonderful at his birth. He was visited by Magi. He only had one earthly parent. And somebody might say, well, I've only got one earthly parent. No, you got two. <laughs> You've got two. One may be absentee, deadbeat, but you got two. Maybe your parent has passed away. 
But, but you have to, Jesus and Jesus alone had only one earthly parent. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful that the Adamic sin nature was not passed down to Jesus. Romans 5 tells us that by one man, sin and death entered into the world and death passed to all for in Adam all sinned. Yet because of the virgin birth, Jesus inherited no sin nature, yet he is still our brother in humanity. And because he inherited no sin nature, he is thereby uniquely qualified to be the savior of sinners. He was wonderful in his birth. He was wonderful in his character. Uh, last week, Dr. Montgomery looked at the, the texts and when we considered, can anything good come out of Nazareth, Nathaniel asked. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <clears throat> Billy Sunday again said, lazy, lustful, ignorant, unspeakably wicked. And to this, he comes from such a people. And that's proof of his deity. I think it's proof also that Jesus is wonderful in his character. Environment would have yielded much less. He is perfect in his character. No, no person has ever come close to the character of Christ. His enemies, what did his enemies have to say about it? You want to know about the character of Jesus? You look at what his enemies said. This is the, get ready. This is the accusations they made. He is a friend of sinners. He does good on the Sabbath. He claims to be equal with God. Those are the accusations. And when they wanted to have him crucified, when they had him crucified, they had to get liars to perjure themselves in order to make that farce go through. He is wonderful in his birth. He is wonderful in his character. And he's wonderful in his teaching, both in method and in message. The method of his teaching, he taught simply. You didn't need a dictionary to follow. Everyone could understand what Jesus taught. He taught clearly. He used parables, word pictures, stories. Sometimes this is taught as a new way of teaching. Jesus used these methods. He was engaging. Sometimes we see people who are clear and plain, but they're not engaging. Jesus was engaging. Mark 12, 37 says the people heard him gladly. They enjoyed listening to Jesus. He was wonderful in the method of his teaching. He taught uniquely. Today, everything that's been, everything that is being said has been said before. It, it is somewhat of a relief as a preacher to know that I will say nothing new. In my entire life, I'll say nothing new. If, if you hear somebody say something new, especially a preacher of the gospel, look out. That's error. Jesus, what they said of him was, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. He taught with authority. Mark 1, They were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. He taught like no one else. They were amazed. So they debated among themselves. Mark 1 tells us to say, 
What is this? A new teaching with authority? He was, he was wonderful in his teaching method. He was wonderful in his teaching, in the message of his teaching. He taught that he was the only way to the Father, the only way to eternal life. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people have been saved, have come to, to salvation and will be in heaven eternally, transformed from death unto life, transferred from darkness to light, and every single one to the man came through Jesus. He's the only one. There is no other. He taught that he was equal with the Father. John 15, 23. He that hateth me, hateth my Father also. How, what does that say to us in a world where people are like, I, I like to be spiritual. I'm not so much about Jesus, but I just like to think about God. No. He that hateth me, hateth my Father also. John 14, 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough. Show us the Father and it will be enough. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long, yet you do not know who I am? He said, show us the Father. How, how can he say, Jesus asked, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not say of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He was wonderful in his birth. He was wonderful in his character. He was wonderful in his teaching, both in method and in message. He was wonderful in his ministry. From the first miracle, turning water to wine to save the embarrassment of a Jewish mother, a Jewish wife. He fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish on one occasion. Matthew says specifically 5,000 men. Which means that, that very well could have been upwards of 20,000 people fed with one little boy's lunch. Then on another occasion, he fed 4,000 with seven loaves. They took up 12 baskets of extras. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame to walk and the dumb to speak. He raised the dead. His ministry was personal. He healed a woman, a, a single woman in a crowd. And she didn't speak to him. She didn't call attention to herself. She did not ask for healing. She just touched the hem of his garment. And she was healed from an, from an infirm that she had had for 12 years. His, his ministry was personal. He, he showed compassion over and over to men and women. He was truly wonderful in his ministry. He was wonderful in his death. And he prayed that if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's another way, if there's another way, 
But when the answer came, there is no other way. This is the way. He, he in humble submission to the will of the Father, took up the death that only he could die. He paid the debt that only he could pay. He spoke not a word in his own defense. He endured brutal beating. No, no man took his life. He gave it. Scripture tells us he gave up the ghost. The soldiers at the foot of the cross, professional killers, professional in how to torture a man, how to keep a man alive up to the point of death, professional in, in killing. Those soldiers who would be so jaded and so callous at the foot of the cross, they were impressed with the manner in which Jesus the God-man died. He was wonderful in his death. He was wonderful in his resurrection. Exactly as he said, three days. Exactly as he said. Exactly as the scripture foretold. He rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He rose firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. What is that? He was not the first person to ever be raised from the dead. There are Old Testament people who were raised from the dead. What is it that Jesus was firstborn from the dead? He was first in power. He was first in priority. He was first in authority. He rose to never die again. He lives and he is alive forevermore. He rose and we just, we sang a song this morning that had reference to this text in Revelation 1.17. He rose with keys. <laughs> Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hell. He rose with keys. He was wonderful in his resurrection. We could spend so much time talking about this. We could also add, I mean, I, I chose seven points here. We could, we could add to this. He was wonderful in his ascension. He, was one, he is wonderful in his session. He's wonderful in intercession. He will one day be shown to be wonderful in his return, in the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air. He will be wonderful in every way, in every aspect for all eternity. His name is wonderful. But this morning we consider finally, <coughs> he is wonderful in salvation. The greatest need of humanity. We look around, we see so many needs. There's so many needs. But the greatest need, it could be said really, the only true need is the need for a Savior. Jesus is a Savior. Now, now brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't think the wonder comes from the fact that Jesus is a Savior. That might be what we expect. Jesus. He's a Savior. I don't think the wonder comes in the fact that he is gracious or that he saves. The wonder 
The wonder comes when we consider that he saves sinners. He saves those who are his enemy. He saves those who hate him. He saves sinners like you and like me. And the salvation of sinful men and women is wonderful. His salvation is full. Imagine if it were possible that Jesus could have could have provided half salvation. Something to get us started, to get us halfway there. Imagine if that would, boy, that would be more than any sinner deserves to get half salvation. More than any sinner deserves. Imagine that he provided a salvation that we would have to maintain. Now you need to know we would lose it day one, right? But imagine that that's the salvation that he provided. Wouldn't that go beyond any definition of what we would consider fair, wouldn't that be so much more than we deserve? But Jesus offers salvation that is full and complete. He offers salvation that is free. Not by works. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what you are. Not because of anything in you. Only because of the grace and the mere good pleasure of God. He offers salvation full and free. And today, his salvation is wonderful to me because his salvation is mine. It's a wonder that he saved me. And I pray that you each, each one of you can say that for yourself today. His salvation is wonderful and his salvation is mine. But if you're here today and you don't know the wonderful salvation of Jesus Christ as your own, hear this now. Jesus still saves. He's not done. He still saves. He saves every sinner who will come to him by faith, repenting of their sin. That's the call of scripture. The call to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the call for you today. His name shall be called Wonderful. Everything really that we've talked about in, in the wonder of Jesus, the wonder of his birth, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, all of these wonders are pieces and parts that feed into the wonderful salvation that Jesus offers, the wonderful Savior that he is. So Christians, this, this year, this the rest of 2023, the rest of this month, this Christmas season, as we hear Christmas carols played over the 
intercoms, as we hear Handel's Messiah played in the shopping malls and in the public square, as busy people rush around oblivious to Jesus, oblivious even to the things that are said in those Christmas songs and in Handel's Messiah, let us be mindful. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. God, we thank you for Jesus. Our words could never express worship in a way that is worthy of him. Our only hope is that, that through him and through the spirit, he makes us acceptable. He makes our worship acceptable. God, forgive us where we have kept our lips closed. For we have not spoken of the wonder of our dear Savior. We pray that you give us opportunity to share with friends, with family, with our children, with our grandchildren, the wonder of Jesus Christ. Help us Help us in this world where it is so easy to become cynical, where it is so easy to become calloused. Help us not to be calloused to Christ Jesus. Don't allow us, Lord, to be stuck at the, at the manger. Help us in our, in our thought, in our picture of Jesus Christ to, to go all the way through life and death and resurrection as we will see in the picture that you have given us of Christ Jesus in the Lord's table of his life and his death. Help us as we think of our Savior not even to stop there but to think of his soon coming. Help us in our weakness Help us to be worshipers who truly worship in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.